Welcome to another message from Ron Heitman, lead pastor at Evangel Church. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc. We continue our series uh, this week with our, our theme of the God-made man and the fact that it simply means this big idea that God uses the circumstances and the situations of our life, sometimes great circumstances, sometimes difficult, hard times, but he uses that to forge our lives into the people of God that he wants us to be. And so we've been looking at some Old Testament characters as well as New Testament characters over the last few weeks that kind of highlight the issues of their life, the, the tough spots sometimes in their life, and God uses those things to really shape them into incredible people of God. And I know God is doing that in all of our lives too. So that's why we're focusing on that over the next couple of weeks. Our guest speaker today, can I just tell you he's my best friend in the world next to my wife? That's the kind of friend he is. He's just been a buddy since college. I was much thinner at that time. I had a full head of hair. I actually had long hair. It went down over my, some of you look like, no way. It was true. It really was. And uh, Jeff and I met our freshman year of, of college. After that freshman year, I guess confession's good for pastors. We were both, you know, guys just looking for the loves of our lives. And so we volunteered every year to work registration so we could see the new girls that were coming to college. That's just true confession, but uh, God brought us two beautiful ladies in our lives, and we're thankful for that, and uh, no one else would have us. So anyway, uh, just, we're just great friends, and you know what? I wish that for every person in this building, that God would give you what the Bible calls an iron sharpens iron relationship. Iron sharpens iron, so a man uh, sharpens the countenance of of his friend. And this is one of those God-given friends that I thank the Lord for. He uh, pastors in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He grew up there, went back there after college, and God's used him incredibly. They have an incredible church. Uh, If you're ever in Pittsburgh, you've got to visit Allison Park Church. It's full of life. People get saved. As well, last week, uh, there were 20 people while we were preaching there last week. 20 people gave their heart to Christ last weekend. Isn't that awesome? That's just what God does, man. It's a live church, and uh, I, I believe in their pastor, obviously. But God's doing something extra special through Jeff, too. A couple years ago, God spoke to him this vision to plant churches even more so than he's already done. Their church is planting multiple churches around them in the Pittsburgh area. But God spoke to him about planting 100 churches in the northeast of our country. How many of you know that the northeast of our country is somewhat of a church desert? There's not the same kind of impact as the Bible Belt, and you get down south in southern uh, United States, there's a lot more churches. But in the northeast, there's a little bit of a, what I would call a church desert. And God spoke to him to plant 100 churches in 10 years. I just want you to know, that is a phenomenal dream and goal but can I tell you, at the end of this year, it'll be three years, and they'll have planted 38 churches already. Can you say thank God for that? And it is, it is true, and it's proven that when we plant more churches, more people come to Christ. That's the, one of the strongest uh, efforts of reaching other people for Jesus is planting new churches. So God's using them in a great way. Would you welcome my buddy, my friend, Jeff Lee, because he comes to speak this morning. Thanks, buddy. Love you. 
All right. Well, it's great to be with you guys. You know, because of my friendship with Ron, I pray for this church all the time. And uh, so it's good to meet those that I've been praying for. And uh, I've been here several times before. How many of we've, uh, we've met before? You remember me from before. How many of you, this is our first chance to get acquainted? All right. Well, hey, guys. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Uh, thanks for having me here today. Uh, Ron mentioned some of, uh, some of the things about our friendship. We've actually been friends for 32 years. And so I was actually three when we met. No, no, it was just, we were, we were in college, obviously, you know, and uh, we, we played ball together. We were RAs together. We did pretty much everything together when we were in school. And then whenever I got married, Ron was my best man. And um, I'll never forget that day because, you know, we had the video and the, the, the guy would pan the stage and every time they would get to Ron, who was standing right behind me. Uh, he had this huge grin on his face. He was just so happy for me, you know, on that big day. And um, I had written a song with my wife that we sang to each other on that day. And yeah, isn't that precious? Don't you just want to say, ah? So, so I was really nervous because I had to start off the song. And uh, I said to Ron before we went out on the stage for the wedding, I said, you got to help me hit the note right at the beginning because I'm afraid I'm not going to hit the right key. So we, we found the right note. It was something like, ah, like that. So he was standing behind me up until that point, keeping that note in his head. Mm, and then whenever it was time to sing, he, he, he sang loud enough for me to get it. Ah, like that. So I heard him behind me. Now that's, how many of you know that's a friend right there that helped you hit the right note on your wedding day? So, uh, yeah, so we've known each other for a long, long time. A little bit about the vision. You know, uh, we planted nine churches in the city of Pittsburgh. I've been pastoring there at Allison Park since 1991. And a couple of years ago, God put it in my heart to see churches planted in the major cities of the Northeast. And there are 25 major cities in the Northeast, and we wanted to put a reproducing church in each one of them. And so that's what we're trying to do in planting these churches. And if you want to pray for the Northeast or pray for us, man, we would appreciate that. You can get more information about that at reachnortheast.com, which will tell you about that vision and how you can get involved in praying with us. All right, so we're in the series, God Made Man. And I love the thought behind this series because... This series is all about how God can forge a new work within your life. And he can take the things in your life that aren't working and he can transform you. And he can take the situations in your life around you and he can change those things. And he can even work in some of the hopeless situations that we find ourselves in. Now, let let me just tell you a little bit about my background. So, I'm, I'm a third generation Christian. My dad was a pastor. He pastored one church in the suburbs of Pittsburgh for 40 years. So I grew up in a pastor's home. And um, my grandfather was not a, a believer. When my dad was young, my grandfather was not a believer. He, he worked in the coal mines in Maryland. And he was a very angry man. Um, he, he was often drunk. He was a chain smoker. He had a horrible temper. Um, there were many, many days, my dad said, when, when they'd be sitting at the dinner, dinner table, and then all of a sudden he'd get angry, he'd throw something against the wall, and everyone would scatter. And He was the one guy in town. He, he was in Lonaconing, Maryland. This is where my dad grew up. He was the one guy in town that they would, they would say, that guy there will never, ever go to church. And the rest of the family went to church, but, but, but my, my granddad never did. 
And, and they were, it was the kind of guy they would say, you know, if he ever goes to church, the roof will fall in. You know that kind of a guy? So he was the hopeless case in our family. And then one day, somebody invited him to church, and to everybody's surprise, he said yes, he would go. And he came to church, and he sat in the back, and at the end of the message, when they were giving the altar call for people to give, give their lives to Christ, everybody's eyes toward, turned toward him when he lifted his hand and, and decided to pray the salvation prayer. And he came to the front, and he gave his life to Christ. And from that moment on, his life changed dramatically. He quit smoking right away. God just set him free from that. He he stopped the heavy drinking. Um, His temper was under control because the Holy Spirit now was working in his life and he became a great dad. In fact, he was transformed so much that in the 1950s, now this isn't a method you see used a lot anymore, but he would take a megaphone, go up to the highest point in the little city they were a part of, and he would preach the gospel over that megaphone, telling the story about how Jesus Christ had changed his life. Isn't that an awesome thing, that how God can take the hopeless cases and he can change their lives and bring them about to a place where their life brings glory and honor to heaven. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that person that invited my grandpa to church. And if it wasn't for that person who preached the gospel to him so that he would, he would, now maybe I'd be alive, but I don't think I'd be in church telling you these things if it wasn't for the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that wave at me if you're, yeah, amen. Okay, so how many of you have a hopeless case in your life? Anybody? You got somebody in your life, you think, that guy right there, that lady right there, that person in my family right there, boy, I've been praying for them for years, but they have this addictive pattern, or they have this self-destructive thing, or they're angry. I could just never see them making any change whatsoever. And, and so hopeless cases are often a heavy weight upon our lives. And it's not just the hopeless cases, it's often the hopeless places within ourselves. You know, sometimes there's things about us that are the hopeless places about, about us changing. And, and we look at our lives and maybe there's things that nobody else knows about but us and God and we try to make those changes in our lives but we feel like, how will this ever be any different? You know, I've tried before to make this change and it hasn't happened and when we come up against the hopeless cases and the hopeless places, we often feel like these things will never change. But God is a God of the impossible. He is a God who is able to give us the sufficient grace necessary to see the hopeless cases and the hopeless places changed and therefore now bringing glory and honor to His name because of what God is able to do as He forges a new work within our life. And so so here's what I want us to do today. I want us to believe again that God can do a work of miraculous transformation in the hopeless cases and the hopeless places of our life. And we're going to study a story just like this right out of the scripture. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to study the life of a biblical character and how God changed this hopeless case into a world changer for Jesus Christ. Okay, now here, here's the background. We're going to tell you the story of a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul, it's a little bit confusing as you read the book of Acts because Saul is actually called by two names. Later on and more famously, we know him as Paul the Apostle. But before his conversion to Christianity, before he meets Jesus Christ, his name was Saul. And I guess what he's basically doing, you kind of see at the beginning of Acts, he's called Saul, and then he, he experiences the transformation of Jesus, and then he's called Paul from there. It's, like, it's almost like he's saying, the old me is now gone, and the new version of me now, we're going to identify with a new name. But it's the same guy, okay? 
So just to make sure that your neighbor heard that, because sometimes us guys have to be told things twice. I don't know if you never know. Ladies pick it up the first time, but sometimes guys have to be told again. So, so in case they didn't pick it up, if you're sitting next to a man, help him out and say, it's the same guy. Just tell him. Same guy. Just lean over to your neighbor, elbow them. It's the same guy. All right. Okay. So Saul and Paul, same guy, same guy. All right. Who was this guy, Saul? Well, Saul was uh, raised as a religious man. He was a Jew. A Jewish man who had had faith in God, believed in the God of the Old Testament. He was training to be a rabbi. And he lived at the time of Jesus Christ whenever, after the resurrection, so many people from his nationality, from his faith, were turning toward Christ and confessing him as their Messiah. And he saw the movement of Christianity as a betrayal of his faith. And he wanted to protect his faith from from so many people trying to ruin it by this conversion to Christianity. So he was doing everything he could to stop the spread of Christianity. In fact, the Bible says in chapter 8 of the book of Acts that he stood there as Stephen, one of the followers of Christ, was stoned to death. And after that moment, he decided he would participate in trying to imprison those who were followers of Christ and or see them killed. So he got an edict from the leaders in Jerusalem to go around that region and to look for Christians so he could throw them into jail or he could have them killed. So we could say Paul was like a terrorist to Christians, right? He was trying to kill Christians. That's what he was trying to do. So so if you were to think, who would be the last person that, that would convert to Christianity? Well, in that era, it would have been Saul because he was so dead set against Christianity. This is where we find Saul in Acts chapter 9. And he's traveling to the city of Damascus. And on his way there, he's trying to go to Damascus to find those who are followers of Christ and arrest them and throw them into prison. And as he's riding on the back of a horse towards the city of Damascus, he has this light shine from the heaven. And he ends up flat on his back and looking up into the sky. And there... There he has an appearance of the resurrected Jesus who speaks to him. Little, little parentheses moment now. Remember, we believe that Jesus is alive. It's an important fact, okay? Jesus, yes, he lived a long time ago. Yes, he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is active in the world today. And if you're, if you're not sure where you stand when it comes to Christ, I want you to understand that when you call upon him, you're talking to a real person. Okay, so this is not just some teaching or philosophy. So, so now, now Jesus speaks from the heavens to Paul, flat on his back, and he says, he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and, and he looks up and he says, well, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And, and he said, I want you to go into the city of Damascus and I want you to wait for further instructions. So they, they picked him up off of his back. His eyes were blinded because of the light he saw from heaven. They led him into the city of Damascus. And there he waited for several days to figure out what he was supposed to do next. And here's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. If you give me the verses on the screen now. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, this is the guy we're going to focus on for a minute. Acts chapter 9 tells us about Ananias. We, we, we understand he was a follower of Jesus, but this is the only place throughout the scripture that really anything is mentioned about this guy. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know really a whole lot about him other than the fact he lived in Damascus and his name was Ananias. And he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it tells us then, verse, next verse, the Lord called to him in a vision. A vision is basically just a, a dream while you're awake. 
So he got up one day and he was praying and God gave him a picture. And in this picture, he, he began to hear from God. Ananias, he heard, and, and he answered, yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, or a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. He's seen you in his vision that's come to place his hands on him so that he could restore his sight. So, so here now, this is this amazing vision where God gives him real specifics. He says, okay. Here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down three blocks to what that street is called straight. You're going to make a left and you're going to go over to Judas's house. It's 239 Straight Street. And you're going to go up to that house. You're going to knock on the door and inside there you're going to find this guy Saul. And he's blind and you're going to pray for him and he's going to be healed. Pretty fantastic vision that he has. Alright, the next verse then tells us that Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all those who call on your name. Now let me just ask you if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever had God tell you to do something and you feel the need to inform him of information he's missing? Do you know what I mean? Like, God, wait a second here. Are you sure you want me to give that? Are you sure you want me to do that? Are you sure you want me to say that? I mean, don't you know who this guy is? I mean, God, I know you know everything and all, but this guy's actually a terrorist. He's come to our city to kill us. You want me to go to him? That's that's a little bit out there, right? So he had some very serious, legitimate uh, uh, objections to this vision from God. And then the next verse tells us that God responds. The Lord said to Ananias, go. Now, now here's the other thing I'll observe. When I give God extra information about what he's asked me to do, he often doesn't answer my question. You know, sometimes I say, God, just explain it to me. I'll, I'll be okay with it. And he says, no, I just want you to go. I got it handled. I got it covered. Just trust me. You go. And here's, here's the deal. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, everyone who is outside of the Jewish culture, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. By the way, this doesn't mean God saying I was going to punish him for the bad things he's done up till now. It means just that he was saying his call is so intense that he's going to experience a lot of opposition. He's going to do such great things that there's going to be a price that he'll have to pay to accomplish the purpose and destiny that I've placed on his life. So Ananias receives this word from the Lord. The next verse then tells us, Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read stories like this, I like to imagine what it would have been like to have been this guy going to visit this known terrorist in obedience to what God had said to him. I imagine walking up to the front door and hoping no one was home. Don't, don't you think? Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're going to, I just hope there's no one there right now. And knocking on that door and then someone opening up, yeah, hey, I'm Ananias. I, I don't know how to tell you this, but I just had this vision from God. Do you happen to have a guy named Saul staying here? Yeah, he's in the back. He's been waiting for you. He had a vision for you too. Oh, wow, Okay. And he walks in, you know, and it says, he placed his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, in the name of the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road where you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He reaches out to put his hand on him. Now, again, I, this, maybe this is me, but I think my hand would have been a little bit like this. 
you know? I would have been trembling as I reached out, you know, say these things. I don't even know if I believe this, but here it is. You know, Saul, I've come to you. I'll put my hands on you. Now, you're going to be healed. I mean, it's intimidating enough to pray for someone who's blind to be healed, let alone to pray for somebody who's come to, to kill people just like me. So now he reaches out and he puts his hand on Saul and he says this proclamation, God's going to heal you. He's going to set you free. He's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And the next verse says that as he did that, immediately, everybody say immediately, you know, that, that means in the Greek right away, right? You know that, okay? <laughs> Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized and he took some food and he regained his strength. Can you see now Ananias in the water with this former terrorist and he's dipping him under the water and he's Saul, right? The the old angry man come to kill Christians and he brings him up out of the wall now, water now. The new man, the Apostle Paul, right? This future great man of God who's going to do these things. He's been healed. He can see. He's been baptized in water. And the scripture says he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, Saul's life, now we'll call him Paul from here, right? He's launched out into ministry. He goes out into the streets of Damascus and he starts preaching. And they say, isn't this guy who came to kill us? Yeah, well, what happened to him? Well, he saw Jesus, and Jesus changed his life, and and now he's declaring that he believes that Jesus is risen from the dead, and so crowds would gather, and people got saved, and Paul began now his ministry, and all over the world where Paul went, there were miracles that happened. People were healed. Those who were demonized were set free. They would even bring handkerchiefs for Paul to pray over so that they could take those claws and put them on sick people so that they could be healed. It was amazing the things that happened. And Paul went out of, out, out of that place and he began to plant churches all over Asia and into Europe. And many of the books of the New Testament that we have were written as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write them. How, how many of you like the book of Philippians? Isn't that a good book that was written by Paul? And Ephesians and Galatians and Corinthians and Romans. So many amazing things happened through the life of the Apostle Paul. But I would say to you this, this hopeless case who was transformed by the gospel would have never done anything if it were not for Ananias, that insignificant unknown guy in Damascus, doing what God called him to do in reaching out to Saul when he was in the condition of his hopelessness. Now, let me just give you a couple of thoughts here. Put the the first one. When God makes a man, he uses somebody else to ignite the process. Somebody had to invite my grandpa to church. Ananias had to go and put his hands on Paul for him to receive his sight. When God does a work in a hopeless case or a hopeless place, he doesn't typically do it independent from us. He does it through us as we believe with him for God to do the work in somebody else's life. And and there are so many people in this world that need to know of the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's part of why we're here today is we're, we're receiving the truth of God's word. And we're standing together in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we can be prepared to go out from this place with eyes of faith to see people differently than the rest of the world sees them. To, to impart life and hope into people who maybe have no hope at all. To, to look for those places of impossibility and believe for God to do a work of transformation within their world. And it starts with someone as a catalyst to believe what God can do in somebody else's life. Now, I want you to think for a moment of the hopeless case 
that you work with, you go to school with, that's in your family, can you think of somebody that maybe you think that would be the last person right there? Well, that hopeless case, God has his eyes on them. Maybe you say, I think I'm that hopeless case sitting here today. Well, God has his eyes on you because he has never given up on you and he doesn't give up on them and he's not going to give up on people that everybody else looks at and says there's no way they could ever change because God is a God of the impossible. Do you believe that? That was a really good place to say amen. A couple of you missed that moment. Let's try that again. So see, God is a God who works miracles. Amen? Okay, you did good. That's great. All right, so let's look at the second idea here. Second thing is partnering with God always begins with simple obedience. All Ananias did was just obey what God asked him to do. Such a transformation happened in Paul's life. It was, it was amazing. Healing and, 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 a, and, and a filling with the Holy Spirit and a calling that happened and a baptism that, that occurred. So many incredible things happened. But this happened simply because Ananias did what God had instructed him to do. Sometimes whenever we're trying to see change happen in somebody's life or some situation, we think that it's up to us to come up with the solution or the plan. But God didn't use Ananias because he knew so much about the Bible that he was qualified to bring change into Paul's life. And he, he, didn't, he didn't use Ananias because Ananias had a 15-point a plan for how to transform a terrorist into a preacher. It wasn't like he, he presented, though, God, here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk to him here, and we're going to do this with him, and then we're going to move him along. And then, no, it wasn't that he had a strategy for Paul. It wasn't like that, that Ananias stepped up to this situation, even believing in his own heart that this could have happened. Because remember, whenever God called him to do it, he objected. He said, God, don't you know who this guy is? Don't you know how impossible this is? All Ananias did was obey what God had told him to do. Now, now let, me just, let me just say this, a little, little moment in, in, in just kind of application here. Sometimes we find ourselves in very complicated circumstances. We are having problems with our marriage, maybe, and we don't know what to do, and we're not sure how to fix it. Or we find ourselves in a financial hole, and we're not sure how to get out of it. Or we're struggling with an addictive pattern from the past, and we're not sure how to break that. Or we have a problem with our in-laws or our boss or something at work and we're not sure how to navigate our way through it. You know, here's what I have discovered. As I sit across the table from people and talk to them as they're going through these complicated situations, a lot of times I'll hear their story and I'll say to them, you know what, that's really complicated. And I honestly have no idea what to tell you right now? And I know that's not what they want to hear. You know, you go to your pastor for an answer, right? And say, hey, man, it's really bad, isn't it? And I don't even know what to tell you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is where I always find direction and peace. I always say this. There is always a next right thing for you to do. There is something that God has told you to do that is a step of obedience that may make no sense in the long term about how it's all going to get fixed. But if you just do the next right thing, if maybe it's you're supposed to forgive, or maybe you're going to obey in an area, or maybe you're going to go and apologize, or maybe you're going to try to reconcile, so I don't know, but you just do the next right thing in obedience to God, and then God will take you a little bit down the road until you get a, another nugget, and you do that next right thing, and you just put steps of obedience together, one step at a time, and that is how God helps you navigate out your way out of a complicated circumstance. You see, when it comes to following Jesus, 
All God really asks us to do is our part. And that is obey what he's asked us to do. And then he does his part, which is miraculous transformation. Changing things that are unchangeable. When I try to do God's job for him and change people or change my family or change a circumstance, I get very frustrated because I am not God. And neither are you. And I can't do those things. So when I do my part and God does his part, amazing things happen in the world. So Ann and I stepped into the room. He said, Saul, here I am. Just doing what God told me to do and put my hands on you. I'm going to pray over you in the name of Jesus. You're going to be healed. I know this, this sounds crazy to you. sounds crazy to me too. But this is what God told me. In Jesus' name, be healed. Scales fell off his eyes. He began to see. He was filled with the Spirit. He was baptized in water. Ananias walked out of the house. And how many of you know Ananias left that house just as amazed as everybody else? He, I'm sure he left like, can you believe what just happened? That was crazy. And he used me. How many of you know 50 years later, Ananias was still telling that story? He brought his great-grandchildren. Did I tell you about the day I got a vision from God? He told me to go down to Straight Street where Judas lives. And I put my hands on. Yeah, he said, really? That was you, granddad? Yeah, that was me. Because you see, your greatest moments in life come in those moments of obedience and faith. All right, so... Partnering with God always starts with simple obedience. Number three, life is not measured just by what I do, but by what I set into motion. Now, let me tell you a story about kind of a modern-day Apostle Paul story. Ron told you we've been planting churches in the Northeast. And one of the ways that we plant these churches is we plant them in the worst parts of the inner cities. New York City, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. And we plant with a guy who is an amazing leader. His name is Brian Bolt. In 2006, we helped plant City Reach Church, which he pastors in the inner city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Brian's church is multiplying prolifically. They've already planted 16 churches. This fall, they're going to plant another 13, all in places of the city, which are very, very difficult places. You say, well, wow, this is an amazing guy. Where did you find him? Where did he come from? Well, let me tell you about Brian's background. At 13 years old, he started using drugs. And he started with, you know, simple stuff, and then he graduated to heroin use, and he ended up committing some crime, and he went before a judge, and they were going to put him in jail. But the lawyer presented an option, why don't we send him into the service instead? So they made him enlist in the Navy. And he did okay for a couple of years until he started using again. And he went AWOL from the Navy... Out in San Diego, California, he was using his naval ID card to run drugs across the border to Mexico. So he was selling drugs, he was using drugs, he was a bad guy. Okay, he did a lot of bad things. One day, Brian was in a bar, and he got in a fight. Two guys came at him. He hit the first guy, he went to hit the second guy. He said, I didn't hit the first guy hard enough, and when he popped up, he had a gun in his hand, and he put the gun to my head, and he shot me in the head. He said blood began to pour out of his head, filled the barroom floor. The bullet pinballed in his head and landed in his carotid artery. It's the only way that he survived. They picked him up from the floor, put him in the back of the ambulance, and they drove him to the hospital. And while he was in the back of the ambulance, the EMT said to him, Son, you're going to die. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? He said, No, I don't. He said, Would you like to pray right now to give your life to Jesus Christ? He said, Absolutely. So he prayed the salvation prayer on the way to the hospital. 
Miraculously, he survived. He was in kind of a sedated state for 75 days. They did repair all over his face. And when he got out of the hospital, he didn't know what to do, so he went back to the streets of San Diego, and he was just there on the streets when a church group came, found him there on the streets, and said, hey, we believe God's got a plan for your life, and we have a place for you to stay. Why don't you come with us into this home, this recovery home? You can stay there for free. And they helped him stay off drugs, and there he got discipled, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he got called into ministry, and, and he began to, to take his journey towards planting a church in Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from. We met one another, and I helped him get started, and now Brian Bolt is planting churches for people just like him all over the Northeast. When he plants these churches, they start recovery homes, free places for men and women to stay, to get off drugs and alcohol, and to start a new life. It's incredible what God is doing in Brian's life. You see, God can take the hopeless cases and do such a miraculous work in their life that he can lift them up as a trophy of his grace and show them off to the world to say, look at what I can do when somebody surrenders their self to me. Isn't that awesome? Beautiful. Yeah. Now, none of that happens if it wasn't for that EMT. I don't know if his name was Ananias. It would have been curious, huh? I don't know his name. Well, one day I'll get to meet that EMT in heaven, and I'll say, thank you for leading Brian to Christ. And I'll say, can you see all these thousands of people that are here that have been won to Christ through the City Reach churches in the Northeast? All of that, bro, is credited to your obedience to lead that one guy to Christ who seemed like a hopeless case in the back of the ambulance. Think about the impact of the Apostle Paul's life. Thousands and thousands come to Christ in Paul's ministry while he's here on the earth. And then all of us have been reading Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Corinthians, Romans. All throughout the years, Paul's life has left an impact, a trail of changed lives over 2,000 years of history. And we could say to Ananias, you get a part of the credit for everything that happened in Paul's life because you started the chain reaction of events into motion that changed the world forever. And you say, well, you see, I don't know if I really have that much to offer God. I can't sing that good. I'm not really a preacher. I don't know that much about the Bible. How can my life make a difference? You see, we don't measure things the way God measures things. We tend to measure things based upon earthly standards. But I'll tell you this, one moment of obedience, believing in and investing in another life that's a hopeless case that God brings change in, can rock the entire world, and whatever that person you lead to Christ does for God goes back to your credit, so that one day you'll stand in heaven and say, wow, who knew that this one Ananias moment where I just believed God for somebody could make that kind of a difference in the world. So what are you setting into motion? I'm, I'm going to thank that guy when I get to heaven who invited my granddad to church. I'm going to thank that EMT I wish I knew his name. I'm going to thank Ananias for leading Paul to Christ. You know, I want to be, I want to be an Ananias as well. I want God to use me to make a difference in the lives of people that I meet that maybe other people would look past and think, oh, I'm not sure anything could happen. Because you know what? God is a God who still is able to do the miraculous transformational work in people's lives that need Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. We're here to prepare ourselves for God to send us out from this place to be ready to be used of him to make a difference in the world. Amen? Let's all stand up together.
And if the worship team can come back. We're going we're gonna to just take some time to pray. And we're going to pray for the people in our lives that popped into our mind during this time. Friends at school. Friends in your family. Friends in your neighborhood. People maybe you know from a long time ago. Maybe you went to high school with. I don't know who it is that God's going to bring back to your memory. But we're going to pray that God just does a work within their life. So would you just turn your face toward heaven? I want you to think about who that person is. Let me just pray along with you now. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're a God who never gives up on us. Thank you that you're not giving up on our family members and friends. God, fill our lives with fresh faith today to see with your eyes what you see and to hear the next right thing you want us to do. Even right now, as we're standing in his presence, I just believe God can speak to you about what you're supposed to do, this next step of obedience. Maybe it's a crisis in your own life. He wants you to to lead you out of, and just he'll tell you, here's what I want you to do next. You know, just obey what God puts in your heart, and amazing things will follow. We just surrender ourselves to you now. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. All right, look up at me for a moment. Let me just tell you this. Before the services today, I was just pacing in the back and praying. And, and I was asking, Holy Spirit, give me a specific word of encouragement for this church. And as I was praying, I, I felt that God gave me this picture. This piece of property I know is one that has wind that blows over it. I was actually, last time I was here, was here in January and walking um, into the doors here in January freezes every bone in your body. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's just really cold, right? Because the wind blows and it just... So here's the picture I had. It's like as I was praying, I felt like I could see the breath of God blowing over this church. You know, like the wind coming down, hitting the building and going over the building and surrounding the building. And then I I just heard, heard the Lord speak to my spirit. Acts 3.19, which says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. And listen now, so the times of refreshing might come from the Lord. And here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say to you. Evangel Church, times of refreshing from the Lord are getting ready to visit this place. The breath of God is going to blow over this house and there's going to be a new sense of refreshing, not just to lift you or encourage you here, but a refreshing that people who are hopeless cases will be drawn to, that they'll experience the life transformation of God as the presence of God blows through this place. And I just believe that God's getting ready to just breathe His life over us. Amen? And if you if you want that in your life, I want you just to lift up your hands across this place. So, so let's just believe that today. God, may refreshing. May the wind of God, may the breath of God blow over this place today. And may this place be filled with people whose lives are transformed by the presence of your spirit in this place. Yeah, just keep reaching out to him and let's sing this together. Ken, if you'll lead us now. In the spirit of the Lord This concludes the teaching. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc.